This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast, the best bits from Friday, January the 26th. Uh, so we spoke to Izzy Ray a little earlier on. Izzy is the Assistant Director of Sports Business Group at Deloitte, was kind enough to join us live in studio. Uh, the reason being the latest Deloitte uh, rankings are out with regards to, well, wealthy sports and specifically football clubs and there's been a change at the top of that list man city uh, traditionally on top of the wealthiest club list but not this year no real madrid they're uh, spanish rivals pipping manchester city to the title so we wanted a little bit of an explanation on that and a wider discussion about the question of finance in football we also spoke all things real estate. We had a couple of chief executives or a couple of bosses on the show this morning, uh, starting with Ahmed al Kashabi, the group CEO of Arada, uh, the Sharjah-based developer, which, of course, is the largest developer over in Sharjah, but also with plots now in Dubai and ambitions to expand even further, have posted a stellar set of numbers for 2023, laying the foundations for what promises to be very productive pipeline for 2024. We've got all the latest from the group CEO. And talking of CEOs, we're also joined in studio by Jonathan Emery, the Chief Executive Officer of Aldar Development. Uh, he came in to talk about their latest launch down on Yas Islands. Um, an interesting one. Lots of green space, lots of amenities, lots of um, investment into the community feel, but also an alliance and a brand alliance with one of the best chefs here in the region. A homegrown talent, uh, Chef Izu Ani, who also came into the studio to talk with us alongside Jonathan. All right here on the Business Breakfast and right here for you on the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. Let's look in a bit more detail at some of our top business stories today, including the European Central Bank. Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank, making headlines for very different reasons over this past 24 hours. Here's the context. Yesterday was interest rate decision day at the ECB. Happens every few weeks, like the Fed. They make the decision, rates up, down or on hold. Yesterday on hold at 4%. And then she fronts up to reporters with a press conference and they ask her about the transmission mechanisms of monetary policy and assorted other stuff. Yesterday, though, we had some fireworks. And that's because a survey had just come out. The in-house staff survey at the European Central Bank, 360 degree feedback, it's sometimes called, where all the staff are asked to talk about how much they like or don't like work and to rate the boss. In this case, Christine Lagarde. Tom, the staff were not kind to Madame Lagarde. No. Um, I've been reading through the report, actually, as well. Um, this was the uh, trade union survey of ECB staff as well. It was an anonymous uh, survey that was handed out to others. Um, and over 50%, which is well above her predecessors, um, either rating her as very poor 
or poor. Um, comments in the survey, which included responses from almost 2,000 of the staff, point to widespread unhappiness about her wading too deeply into politics, using the ECB to boost her personal agenda, which hasn't helped uh, the reputation of the central bank. A lack of focus uh, was one of the big criticisms. But the one that's got me is that, um, well, she she rates very badly on the monetary policy side of things. Fair enough. OK, she's been through, a, you know, it's been a tough time at the moment. And obviously predecessors saved the euro and it was it was easier time to be in charge. But whilst you'd almost forgive her that, uh, it's internal matters that she's really being dragged across the coals at the moment, including her flagship issues of diversity and decision making as well. Um, both of her predecessors receiving bad marks for their handling of internal affairs, but staff absolutely scathing about Lagarde. Three quarters expressing unhappiness with her approach to management. 75% of staff surveyed. Uh, some of that mundane grumbling over things like hot desking, restrictions on working from home, pay rises, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but the others went further, and I quote from the report... Christine Lagarde is generally reported as being an autocratic leader who does not necessarily act according to the values she proclaims. Um, the report goes on to highlight unhappiness at perceived double standards, for example, in claims that staff are encouraged to speak up but are then rebuked if they openly share concerns. Other complaints range from excessive workload to stress and a lack of transparency in the recruitment process. Uh, concern at nationality clusters within the bank has risen on her watch, uh, watch although the report also indicated some confidence this might now be improving. So, all's not well. She was asked about this at the press conference yesterday and because she's there in front of the media, she had to front up. This was her response. Look, as far as I'm concerned, I am irrelevant as long as I deliver on leading this institution of talented people, not just economists, talented people who are driven to do their job and to deliver. The rest, me as a person, irrelevant. Tom, you're not convinced you should be irrelevant. I, I, I just don't get that. I mean, that's, that's bravado. That's, that's, that's tough talking and things like that. It hurts. I don't matter. It doesn't matter how autocratic a leader you are or not. If you if if the staff are saying that behind your back, they're obviously not allowed to say it to her face because they get rebuked for sharing their concerns in public. But if your staff are saying that behind your back, it is going to hurt a little bit. And I think it is irrelevant because she is relevant by the very role that she plays for a very the the the, the role she holds in a very relevant um, uh, organisation. So relevant for sure. Let's talk about the economics because that's why she was there. The ECB, as expected, kept interest rates on hold. Lagarde said it will be premature to cut rates just yet. The fight against inflation goes on. However, traders aren't really buying that rhetoric because they are pricing in a 90, 90% chart that the ECB will cut rates in April, just a few weeks away. We've been getting the thoughts of Katija Hack, who is Chief Economist at Emirates MBD. This is what she had to say. The ECB kept rates on hold as expected yesterday, but the tone of the post-meeting commentary was that the ECB was perhaps more dovish than in previous meetings. 
outcomes. And this was certainly the market's reaction. President Christine Lagarde continued to stress that the ECB would be data dependent in its decision making, but that it was premature to discuss rate cuts at this point, suggesting that uh, March is probably not likely for uh, the first move from the ECB. But in other areas uh, of their statement, they did suggest that the balance of risks around inflation was shifting to the downside. Um, So quite optimistic, perhaps, that inflation is moving quickly towards target. We will be getting inflation data from the Eurozone next week, and this will be closely watched um, for further indications around the timing of the ECB's first rate cut. The big economic news of yesterday, actually, wasn't in Europe. It was across the Atlantic in the United States. GDP data was out. There was a lot of doom and gloom ahead of the data. People were saying, will the United States slip into recession? Not a bit of it. 3.3% growth for the fourth quarter, well ahead of expectations. Here's Katija again. US GDP grew by a much faster than expected 3.3% annualised in the fourth quarter, according to the advanced print, which of course is subject to revision going forward. This is a marked slowdown from the third quarter growth of almost 5%, but it still came in well above uh, market expectations for 2% growth in Q4. So this now takes average... uh, GDP growth in the US for 2023 to 2.5%, up from 1.9% in 2022, and much stronger than had been expected at the start of last year. The main drivers uh, remain personal consumption growth, although that did slow in the fourth quarter. Government consumption and investment were also relatively strong uh, at the end of last year. But really, the main driver of the surprise uh, positive reading was net trade, with exports growing uh, 6.3% annualized while import growth slowed to 1.9% in the fourth quarter. Most analysts uh, expect GDP growth in the US to slow this year to 1.3%. It really was quite an upside surprise. CNBC called it a blistering pace of growth in the United States. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Not for the first time this morning, we are talking real estate. It's a pleasure to welcome into the Dubai Eye studio the Chief Executive Officer of Aldar Development. He is Jonathan Emery. Morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. And you're here because so much happening in off-plan development. Well, certainly here in Dubai, but in Abu Dhabi as well. Uh, you, in the past few days, have launched uh, the, your latest development, Sam. Yes. Why, as a developer, are you thinking what the UAE needs now is another luxury mixed-use development? Explain the thinking to that. Uh, well, demand is still very strong, both in Abu Dhabi and, as you say, in Dubai as well. And you know, we're here to meet our customers' needs always. Um, yes, is uh, remains super popular, and we've uh, we've come up with something special on this occasion. We're putting a new. Uh, 27-acre park, 11-hectare park into Yas, with lots of you know sports amenities, place to have picnics and birthday parties, um, and we've put some buildings right in this park. So we've got uh, 250 apartments overlooking this magnificent park, designed for families, and you know high level of sort of amenity and service, specifically designed for families who want that sort of uh, amenity right on the doorstep of the park. We were talking yesterday at the Business Breakfast about amenities, and it was that uh, amenity wars yes. is, I think, how Brandy Scott phrased it, that, that developers like yourself, they know that if you want to sell apartments and differentiate them, it's not about what happens within the four walls. It's, it's about the community as well. 
which is great because as buyers of property, we want a park. We want wide open spaces with kids play areas and basketball courts. But of course, as a, as a developer, when you crunch the numbers, that is space that you can't sell. That basketball court, that park is non-revenue generating land. So how do you balance those two almost conflicting goals? Uh, it doesn't conflict. Uh, the word is about value. It's all about value. Um, and it's about how do you create uh, experiences that customers value. Um, and that's what we're about. You know, and, and we're in the fortunate position that you know, uh, having uh, in, a, in our sort of portfolio schools and leisure and retail, uh, you know, we sort of understand those real levers. And, it, and it's not about just building basketball courts and amenities. It's about creating an experience, populating them, building community. And that's particularly why we're here this morning, because in order to do that, uh, you know, we find special collaboration partners. Okay, so, so the thought experiment we had yesterday was a, a developer like yourselves, Aldar, one of the, obviously one of the, the, the biggest ones, the biggest in, in Abu Dhabi. Conversation's going, okay, we've got this 27 acres, is it? The, That's correct, the yeah. We've got 27 acres, and, and Jonathan, you as the, as the chief executive of Aldar Development, say, right, we can build a few apartments in the middle of that park. How many is it? 250? 250, 250. yeah. Chief financial, chief financial officer of XYZ Developer pipes up and goes, hang on a minute, that's 27 acres. We could build 2,500 apartments and we'd make more money. And the board of directors go, that's a fair point. We would. So why do you only build 250? How do you, how do you get to the point where you go, actually, no, we're not going to build 2,500, just 250, and we're going to keep the park and convince the board that that's the right thing to yeah. do? We, we're in the uh, fortunate position that uh, we have uh, a lot of land and existing communities on Yas. So this park will not be exclusively uh, for those 250 apartments. This is for the benefit of the public, um, and uh, particularly the residents that exist already on Yas. So we are providing additional value and amenity to the residents who have already committed to living in Aldar communities and on Yas, together with all the schools and, and the retail, etc., as well as the new ones. And it won't just be these 250. There are other uh, developments coming in and around that park as well. So it's an amenity, a, a larger social uh, amenity for Yas. just happens that these three buildings are right in the park. What are you going to charge for the apartments? But I don't know if you heard on your way in this morning, we were chatting to the CEO of Arada. Yes. Their Armani residences in Dubai start at 21 million and go up to half a, a billion dirhams. What, what are you charging for these apartments? Less. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, uh, we, I mean, we, you know, we, we, we're catering for different customers all the time. And, you know, we have product at that pricing as well. But this particular one is more at, at a, a YAS audience, a family audience. It's definitely luxury. But, you know, we're not on this occasion uh, using and uh, working with, uh, you know, an exclusive brand like Armani. We're working, uh, you know, with, with our own interior design and with using the, utilizing the park and the amenities and, as I say, you know, a special collaboration with, with, uh, with uh, the gentleman sitting on my left here. Which brings us to the gentleman sitting to your left, Tom Urker. We haven't just got the real estate developer in the studio. Who else have we got? Well, as you well know, Aldar uh, have 
affiliated and teamed up with some pretty big names in the past. Uh, the American comedian and actor Kevin Hart, more recently Aquaman himself, Jason Momoa. But they've really rolled out the barrel this time, I tell you. <laughs> they really have rolled out the barrel this time. They've got the big guns <laughs> for this new project. Uh, because if you read down the launch of Samayas, a press release, you will see uh, an affiliation, affiliation with the culinary mastermind that is Chef Izu. Um, of course, UA, but Dubai-based <coughs> chef that needs little introduction. Um, a number of culinary experiences that go hand-in-hand hand with his name. Gaia, of course, not just here, uh, but also internationally at the moment. Izu at the Mandarin Oriental over in Doha. Uh, Laya Shanghai Mezgalit. Oh, it goes on and on and on. He's joined us in the studio. Izu Ani, great oh, to see you as always. Wow, what an intro. I think it was the brownies that gave you that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring There's some. one way to a man's heart, is there not, Izu? Great to have you back with thank us you, as well. You. And let's start with the... Um, alliance here, the coming together uh, of culinary and development minds as well. This wouldn't have been the first approach you've had from developers. It wouldn't have been the first approach you've had from others. Why Aldar and why Samayas? I mean, I think you, you, you put in a great intro there because, I mean, uh, they've collaborated with the, the best, the biggest. Now they wanted to go even bigger. And they said, <laughs> OK, let's go for a homegrown. At the end, they I, I came here 14 years ago, and uh, the spirit of UAE is it's all about what is next? What can we do better? It's about uh, tomorrow is, is, is another day that we challenge ourselves. And uh, being here, you've got that buzz, that, that feeling that uh, nothing's impossible. I mean, you, you get up, you have to keep challenging yourself and putting yourself in situations that develops you as a person, but also develops a nation. Uh, 14 years ago, a lot of people had this kind of transit mentality. Come here, you pick up whatever you go and you leave. But they've made it uh, possible to live here and be creative. And that's where I, I, I took that challenge and I saw that, that if you, if you, if you really want to be creative, you have to put roots. And, and they gave me that opportunity. So I took it and I, and I grew so many different projects. Every time I take up a new project, I want something to redefine how I do things. I don't want to do the same thing because it's like food. You, you eat the same thing. If it doesn't inspire you to go back, why should I? It's like I always like to put a little bit of spice. So it wakes up the palate, brings you back to the plate to, to redefine what it, what's happening, what's the pleasure. So obviously you said that a lot of people have approached me and I... I, I carefully choose my partnership mm. because I always say that, uh, I, and I say that very flippantly and very uh, simply, if I can't have a cup of tea and enjoy a smile and a joke with somebody, uh, someone I'm going to be partnering with, I don't want to share time or, or share, because whatever we're going to be building has to have an emotional attachment from our perspective to be able to share it. Obviously, I'm understanding dining experience within the community, that's a given as mm. well. But I'm also... so. Are you going to, if I buy an apartment, are you going to cook for me every single night? <laughs> Virtually, yes, actually, because the, the idea, no, but it, it, it's true, actually, because the whole collaboration is going into uh, making the kitchen practical in the individual homes. So you're helping with the design of the kitchen Exactly. As well. So basically, if now you, you want to entertain and you, you wish not to cook, I've designed the kitchen for me to come and plug and play. Look at that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's the, the essence of what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it a holistic in a way that, I mean, I used to live in France for many years. And one of the French cultural things is like you go in the morning, you buy a baguette. Mm. But in the afternoon, you buy a baguette again because you want fresh bread. 
this is what I want to bring to the society where like because in the morning you buy two baguettes, you eat one and by the time you get home, you eat the other <laughs> one. But in the afternoon, when you're going home to, to, to your family, you want to bring something fresh. This is what we're going to offer. So you can order your baguette in the morning with your croissant. And in the afternoon, you say, can I have another? Because we're going to create a deli where it, it incorporates every essence of your life. Basically, we're helping you to live easier. I, I'm loving it already. <laughs> I'm sold. Jonathan, um, we mentioned a little bit earlier on, look, Aldar have affiliated with some big names in the past as well on previous projects. Well, I suppose the next question is, is why Isa? Why is, why is a, a, a locally grown brand such as Isa with international appeal at the moment such a perfect fit for you? We were looking to do, I mean, we talk, you, know, you spoke about branded and we, we've definitely used branded and worked and affiliated with sort of large, you know, um, you know hospitality brands, etc. We wanted to do, we're always looking for new ideas, new, new innovations. And Sammy asked, you know, with the gardens and with the park, um, we wanted to put something in there that sort of, you know, brought that sort of freshness into the home. We, we'd had worked quite uh, successfully um, with Chef Nobu, and that worked really well in terms of the food and, and, you know, food and life together and being part of the home. So that sort of triggered uh, the, the, the opportunity to think about um, how, do we, how do we match that, you know, bring those gardens through onto the ground plane and, in, and into the sort of a, a provision uh, to the bottom of the, of the homes, you know, deli, uh, breakfast bar, restaurant. And then how do we sort of, with someone though who was interested in doing something holistically and take it sort of into the home. And, you know, it didn't take long to come up with this gentleman mm. as an ideal candidate, you know, his passion and his expertise. And, you know, manage, we managed to woo him, <laughs> uh, you know, by going to the restaurant like eight times, like we're, we're not leaving. And, and uh, no, we, we, you know, we got on really well and it, and it clicked and, uh, and it's, it's really special. Is it? I mean, it's, it, it, it seems to be a marriage made in heaven between the two, and I'm, I'm loving what you're saying as well. But equally, I mean, I'm looking at the Easy brand at the moment, and both of you have just mentioned the fact that you've gone global in recent times. Kudos to what's happening in London and in Monaco and elsewhere at present. How are you, how are you keeping the plate spinning at the moment? You've got so much going on. <laughs> I'd have to mention the how he wooed me is by saying there's a bike, bicycle si uh, si uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, track in uh, 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 So I just thought, wow, okay, so I can bring my bicycle to work then. <laughs> so no, no, but uh, to be honest, I mean, yes, I have a lot going because, uh, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm one of these people that I love to dream big and dream, dream big allows me to stay awake and, and challenges me. I... I I always say, if you look too far ahead, it, it, it basically blocks you. So you have to say, okay, tomorrow. And I, one of my, my principles in how I live is like, uh, the impossible is only made possible by doing the possible, the things that you can do today. Don't, don't think about the things you can do next week. Do the things you could do today. Do it consistently. These consistently things that you do to build your ment mental status because mental health is something that we all have to be aware of. You cannot neglect it. You have to check in. And, and I love to get on a bike and just say, Izu, how are you? Just simple question. How are you? How are you doing? What's going on? Be honest with yourself before you can be honest with anybody else. It's like uh, I, I'm a great uh, believer in the French saying, pour savoir aimer, pour s'aimer. To know how to love, you have to love yourself. So give yourself the things you need first before you can give it to anyone else. And this is how I pace myself because, yes, I, I'm enjoying the, the, the challenge of uh, expanding globally and I have great partners. And that's why, for me, it's important, imperative that I choose my partnership very well. And to be honest, 
I, I went to Aldar's office. I went to the, the, the office and I saw that the gym in, in, in an office space. I, I saw a spa and I'm thinking, I want to stay here. <laughs> I, I mean, to have, because it's all about you, how you think. How you think is an extension of what you do. Yeah. So it, it, to see and all that, this is how Aldar thinks. It's all about holistic. It's about making sure you're well before you can execute something. Promises to be a massive year for uh, Chef Izu, as it does for Alda at a time on this occasion. I love the fact that he wouldn't have signed had there not been a cyclist. Exactly. <laughs> Job done there, quite right. Uh, listen, it's all about Sammy Yass. Uh, it is, of course, Alda Development, Alda Properties, teaming up with the culinary mastermind Chef Izu. Izu, thank you so much indeed for coming in, bearing gifts this morning. Thank you. Thanks also <laughs> for being you. Uh, all the best for 2024. Thank and you, of course, Tom. to Jonathan Emery as well. Thank you, thank you Richard. Thanks so much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, we'll get into those comments shortly. Not, though, before we've looked at all things real estate here in the UAE and some stellar numbers coming out of Arada uh, in the last 24 hours. They've reported a doubling of sales last year. That's throughout 2023 to 7.02 billion dirhams following unprecedented demand for its premium communities uh, in Sharjah and more recently here in Dubai. The master developer seeing a 100% increase in the total value of property sold compared to the previous 12 months as well. Uh, they are robust numbers as well, robust sales uh, and of course um, confirmed delivery performance as well. Let's get reaction from the group CEO of Arada, Ahmed Al Kashabi has been kind enough to join us now live here on the line, the group CEO of Varada. Ahmed, thank you so much indeed for your time. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be on your station via phone. Extraordinary sales numbers. Great 2023. And I'm assuming uh, setting a good base, a good foundation for the coming year. Yeah, well, actually, Arada, as you know, has only been set up seven years ago. And we've been actually focusing on building a strong foundation, the company, that we deliver on a customer's expectation and try to exceed their expectation. As a result, we have seen the fruits of our labor, as they say. And this year has been, or last year, has been one of our greatest years. We've been growing year on year around 30 to 40%. But last year, as you mentioned, we grew 100%. So yes, we're expecting this year to be another good year. Not 100% growth, um, I would love that, but we're aiming about 30 to 35% growth this year. What's the, what are the trends you're seeing, Ahmed, at the moment? Are, are, the, are, the, are the trends of buyers and investors changing? It is. What we've seen, let's say, if I go back since our inception, we had in the beginning a lot of investors and, let's say, local buyers. In the last two years, we've seen a lot of end users buying and from international markets. So we've seen an influx of new buyers coming into the country. And we're seeing about probably 70% end users buying and about still about 30% investors. And in terms of those investments, is it across the board in terms of the, uh, the mixed use destinations, the developments that you've put your name to? Well, for Arata, we have five projects running and the value of 52 billion dirhams. Al Jara being our biggest project, which is the master development 25,000 apartments, four hotels, three schools, hospital village, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we've seen a lot of customers who want to live in a community that, you know, follows the ethos of live, work, play, and, you know, just to avoid the commute, 
if they can live in a community that has everything at your doorsteps. And we've seen a big demand in those kind of developments. You mentioned the number of developments you were involved and invested in. Uh, Jury Hills at Jumeirah Golf Estates Community, one of those here in Dubai. Uh, also, news coming through at the end of uh, at the beginning of this year that you've purchased uh, land in Dubai's Zabil 2 district as well. Is that a signal, Ahmed, of plans to further expand, not just in Dubai, but across the UAE? That's correct. So uh, prior to... Oh. 2022 we had only projects in Sharjah which is a value of 45 billion dirhams as three master plans Aljara, Nasma and Masar. We entered into Dubai with Jury Hills which is completely sold out 294 luxury villas and fully under construction. We then launched Armani which was launched a week and a half ago um, which is 53 ultra luxury um, apartments at the Palm Jumeirah and then we've purchased the DIFC or Zabil next to the DIFC which we plan to launch roughly around uh, I would say in June but we actually be launching another project prior to this one which we acquired prior to this we haven't announced it so you get to hear about it it's on the harbor and we're planning to launch that project roughly around April, which is around 400 luxury apartments. Morning, Ahmed. Richard so we are, so, Just very, yeah, very quickly, sorry. because we're a bit short of time, Ahmed. The Armani residence is, and I'm sure they'll be lovely. I'm looking on Property Finder at the moment. There's a, someone selling a two-bed at the moment, which looks lovely. 21 million dirhams for a two-bed, and it's by <laughs> no means the most expensive apartment in that development. <laughs> but we're talking about branded residences this morning, and we've got Chef Izu joining us in the studio later on. They've done a tie-up with Aldi. He's a, a local celebrity. I don't know what you're paying Armani for the rights to use their name. I'm sure you've signed an NDA, so you can't tell me, but it won't be cheap. What is the power of branding a residence like this? Why do you do it? Okay, so there's different type of brand residence. There is actual fully branded, which we've done with Armani, which is they're not just signing their name. They are fully designing all the interiors. They are supplying all the materials, so all the kitchen, bathrooms, even the wallpaper is coming from Armani. Um, so you actually get a real Armani product. But we are paying a lot um, and the construction cost does go up drastically, but you get a special product and that's why people pay the premium um, to live in a branded residence. Now, there are some brands that you just pay a fee. We avoid them. We only go with brands that are involved and that add real value. And as you said, Armani, you know, starting at 21 million, but goes up to 500 million and the average price is 50 million at Armani. Extraordinary numbers, uh, uh, great numbers for 2023. 2024 is looking uh, pretty rosy as well. Uh, Ahmed, congratulations to you and your team uh, down at uh, Arada. Uh, Ahmed al Kushabi is the group CEO of Arada. Just reflecting on those stellar numbers for 2023 and, well, quite impressive pipeline for 2024. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are talking to finance of football now because the Deloitte Money League, the annual Deloitte Money League report is out. Delighted to welcome into the studio from Deloitte, Assistant Director of Deloitte's Sport Business Group based here in Dubai, Izzy Ray. Izzy, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Morning, good to be here. Key finding, key headline from this report is that Manchester City, owned by Abu Dhabi, have been knocked off their perch as Europe's richest football club by this lot. Alexander Arnold para Fabinho, se le escapa la pelota y va Modric, va, 
Señoras y señores, va Modric, va, habilita a Vinicius, va Vinicius, vino para Benzema. That was Real Madrid scoring a goal and they are now the richest club in Europe. Izzy, tell us more. Thanks. So, um, yeah, really interesting one this year. Very, very tight at the top between Real Madrid and Manchester City. Um, but one of the, I guess, the, the key reason for, for, for Real Madrid being able to jump jump over Manchester City to reach that top spot was the, the growth in both match day and commercial revenues. Um, in particular, on the commercial revenue side, which is a key theme for this year's report and for Real Madrid in particular that was driven by a growth in in their merchandising business from both in-store um, uh, and online uh, sources. So we're now back above pre-pandemic levels aren't we? We are at, at record highs. Football didn't take long to bounce back did it? No that's, that's correct and with a, a 14% growth in total revenues for the for the top 20 revenue generating clubs uh, in, in Europe, we're really seeing uh, the impact of, um, of of football. I think, in particular, that that growth around sort of the match day and commercial that I mentioned, with the the return to full stadiums, we're seeing a number of the the teams in the top twenty experience significant growth in in match day revenues. Um, and I think going into going into the future, we'll probably see a number of investments in in stadium infrastructure. Barcelona, who who actually recorded sort of the highest match day revenue of any clubs, um, have actually recently sort of announced a, a big investment into into their stadium. So that could be a, a key key area for growth in future. Looking at the list of the top twenty, Real Madrid in number one spot. Then as we go down, Manchester City, Paris Saint Germain, Barcelona, Manchester United take the top five slots. Two of those clubs, of course, owned by Gulf investors, Manchester City by Sheikh Mansour in Abu Dhabi, Paris Saint-Germain by Qatar. And then if we go further down the list, Newcastle United in 17th possession, we know owned largely by the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia. You moved out here in November last year with Deloitte ramping up their sports business consultancy here. I'm guessing those two facts are, are not unrelated, is he? True. There's uh, the the Middle East is actually the the fastest growing region globally from a from a sports business perspective. Uh, as I'm sure everyone's aware, there's a, a there's lots and lots of events happening th- throughout the region. Um, I think you, you touched on sort of Newcastle United and and PIF's investment there. I think Saudi Arabia in particular, the amount of investment going into sport and physical activity from an events perspective, investment into the Saudi Pro League. Um, it's all linked towards sort of that vision 2030, improving outcomes for, for society and also um, for the country looking to diversify uh, their economy as well. One of the clouds hanging over a lot of European clubs at the moment is what we sometimes call financial fair play. Both UEFA, the European governing body, and some of the individual leagues have rules that clubs can't spend more than they earn. I'm oversimplifying, but that's kind of it. And we've seen it bite in England with Everton, one of the top fight clubs, not only fined, but also docked 10 points. And Manchester City, we know, as I mentioned, owned by Abu Dhabi, are facing more than 100 charges related to these issues in in the UK at the moment. Now, I'm not going to ask you to speculate on how that case uh, might evolve, but just explain why this is such a, a big issue. Why are clubs not allowed to spend more than they earn? So th- there's, a, there's a few reasons for this. Um, I think the, the, the first is around um, 
I guess, the fair play within competition. So one of the key reasons for, for introducing financial fair play rules is to ensure that there's an even playing field between, between the teams. Um, one thing that, that no fan wants to see is teams winning 5, 6, 7, 8 nil because um, that would reduce the competition, reduce the excitement levels. Um, so that's one of the, the key reasons for, um, for tightening the regulation. Um, secondly, um, what we've seen without financial regulation, um, so back in sort of the 90s, early 2000s, uh, a lot of clubs were struggling financially, um, which led to a number of bankruptcies, a number of clubs disappearing. Um, so again, this isn't this isn't good for the for the sport. It's not good for the fans. Um, so this is the reason why um, financial regulation, financial fair play rules are are introduced. Um, in in England, for example, we're even seeing the introduction of uh, of an independent regulator as well. Um, so that is potentially something that that other nations may, may start to introduce in future. What about the rise of women's football? We know it, it's making great strides and the most recent Women's World Cup was extremely popular, not just in terms of filling stadiums, but in terms of TV audiences as well. The United States was leading the charge with women's football, but others catching on as well. In Europe, maybe less so. Women's football is getting there. But I'm looking in your report, you look at one of the metrics you look at is female representation on the club's board, Real Madrid the most profitable club, 7% representation. Manchester City, 0%. We've still got a ways to go, haven't we, Izzy? That's great. There's still a way to go. I think when you look at women's sport and women's football, what we do see is a significant recent growth. Um, so it's only the, the last few years that we've been able to start to, to introduce um, women's football within to the, the Football Money League. Um, and the, the reason for that is simply around availability of information. Um, so we're seeing that more and more we're getting more information available so we can report um, on, on women's football. Um, and one of the key metrics um, that we've seen from the, the women's football teams in, in the Money League um, is that growth. So average revenues of the top 15 is around four and a half million euros. So still a way to go from, from the men's teams. But we have seen a 66% year-on-year growth in revenue for those teams. Um, so it, it's definitely moving in a, in a positive direction. With regards to uh, women on boards as well, um, that is also uh, moving in a positive direction. It's not quite sort of the the 50-50 gender parity that that would be optimal or that we'd like to see. But what's positive to see is is the direction of travel. Finally, 30 seconds left. You've moved here from Manchester, home to Manchester City, and my beloved club, Manchester United, who are under new ownership at the moment. What's the Deloitte reading on Manchester United's finances? So for Manchester United, uh, I I think that's an interesting one. They've always been uh, one of the biggest clubs and will continue to, to, to be so um, and they always show one of the highest levels of commercial revenue um, I think following new ownership if if they're able to turn around uh, the performances on the pitch I think Manchester United is is one to watch for, for growth um, in the Money League in future Izzy appreciate your time this morning busy time for you guys at Deloitte with the Football Money League coming out 27th year you've been doing well you haven't been doing it for 27 years but Deloitte's been doing it for 27 years Izzy Ray Assistant Director with the Sports Business Group at Deloitte here in Dubai appreciate your time This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com 
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.